Welcome to the Semper Reformata podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. We're looking at Daniel chapter 6, one of the best known stories in the whole of the Old Testament, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. There is a basic principle of hermeneutics, the science of biblical interpretation, that the Old Testament should always be understood in the light of the New Testament. And more than that, Jesus taught us that everything in the Old Testament, the law, the literature, the prophets, point to him. John chapter 5 and verse 39 He said to the Jews, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The Old Testament scriptures testifying of Jesus. John 5 and verse 46, he said, for had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Moses, writing the first five books of the Bible, was pointing to Christ. To the men who walked along the road to Amos, uh, to Emmaus rather, uh, in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So we have this principle that the Old Testament should be read in the light of the revelation of the Son of God in the New Testament. The Old Testament teaches us about Jesus, not primarily about us, about Christ. It's full of allusions to him. It talks about his saving work. There are messianic prophecies that are fulfilled by Christ There are types and shadows. So we're going to look at this very familiar passage from the book of Daniel. We're going to apply that basic principle. And because this story is so well known, I'm not going to just rehearse it as a story as it unfolds chronologically. But rather we're going to look at it from the perspective of the two major characters in the drama, Darius the king and Daniel the prophet. Let's see what we can learn. So let's look at Darius first. When we read the passage, you will have noticed that Darius the king has been left in a predicament, in a quandary. One of the things we can learn about him in this passage is that he had been impressed with Daniel. He had liked him, he had admired him, he had promoted him to a high rank in this new era of Persian rule in Babylon. But he's been politically outmaneuvered, as we saw last week, by the satraps, the regional governors. And he's allowed his ego and his vanity to overrule his better judgment. He's failed to check their claims that this body of administrators that he set up were 100% in favour of this new law. The law that said 
that if anyone prayed to any other god except through the king, they would be put into the den of lions. Here they are now, standing before Darius the king, these 120 regional governors, these civil servants, and two of the princes, the, the overseers, and they are touting on one of their own number. This man, Daniel, he hasn't obeyed the law. So in verse 12, we see, Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. And the king had to admit that the decree had been made. The king answered and said, The law is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. And they answered before the king, That Daniel, that one, him, he has not regarded thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but he's praying to his God. And he's doing it three times a day. Look at verse 14. See Darius's deep regret. The king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased. Now be very careful. He wasn't displeased with Daniel. He was displeased with himself. He was trying to set his heart on delivering Daniel. He was laboring to the going down of the sun to deliver Daniel. We can only imagine what that involved. There would have been negotiations with the accusers. He'd have been looking through the law books and the case history. He'd have been seeking advice from learned counsel. He worked until he could work no more when the lights faded at the end of the day in an effort to find some way to undo the harm he caused. And look at his reluctant verdict. Verse 16, the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Sentence must be handed down. Daniel must die. But there is one hope when all other hope is gone. As the king uttered the words of sentence in verse 16, it's recorded that the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thy service continually, he will deliver thee. Even as the king is pronouncing the sentence, he's saying, there's only one hope for you now, Daniel. There's nothing I can do. I have labor till I can labor no more to get you out of this predicament. There's only one hope, and it is that the Lord will deliver you. The king had a bad night. Look at verse 18. He went to his palace. He passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him. His sleep went from him. The king arose very early in the morning. It was a heavy night for Darius. His conscience was troubling him. I've often heard Christians praying in prayer meetings. And I've heard them saying, praying perhaps for friends and relatives to come to Christ. And 
They prayed, Lord, give them neither rest nor sleep until their eternal destiny has been assured. But you know, there's a, a motive to that because conviction of sin leads to repentance. Repentance leads to forgiveness. So he has deep regret and he has to issue a reluctant verdict, a very reluctant verdict. He has deep conviction. He calls for forgiveness and for pardon. In verse 20, when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thy service continually able to deliver thee? He cries with a lamentable voice. He wants to know if the Lord is able to save, if he's able to bring a man out of the jaws of the lion. And he saw the goodness and the greatness and the power and the grace of God at work. See his joy in verse 23. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him. The astounding effect on Darius. The end of the chapter we see his testimony and witness. Verse 25. King Darius wrote to all the people, nations and languages. I make a decree that in the dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. To some extent, Darius is a typical sinner. Loved by his own Pride and idolatry, a sinner before God. A sinner who suddenly finds himself in an awful situation that his sin has brought him into conflict with others, brought him into conflict with his conscience, and troubled in anguish and sorrow, he seeks the help of God and finds that in such circumstances God always answers prayer. So the psalmist in Psalm 34, the psalm that we sang together at the beginning of this service, the psalmist says this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. And Paul writing in Romans chapter 10, in verse 13, says, For whosoever shall call, Upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Darius and Daniel. Let's look at Daniel for a moment or two. Daniel, of course, faithful in prayer before God, falling foul of this dreadful law and being delivered. Of course, it speaks to us of his faithfulness before God, doesn't it? This is usually the lesson that we teach in children's meetings and Bible classes, and it's a good lesson for us as well. Daniel obeyed God rather than men, despite the cost. 
Uh, and look, Daniel knew that this law had been passed. He knew the consequences of breaking it. And yet all of that is overridden by his desire to please the God who had so graciously chosen him and redeemed him. And of course he proved the power of prayer. We teach that to the children too, don't we? We teach them that God answers prayer. Just as we're taught in James chapter 5 and verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But there's much more to see. Those simple lessons are lessons for you and me. But look at his arrest and trial in verse 11 with me. It says, These men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. These wicked men, traitors, liars, men who pretended to be friends, they arrested Daniel and brought him before the king despite his innocence of that crime. For as much as before him, he says later, innocency was found in me. Notice how his enemies were determined to trap him. Notice that they knew when he prayed, they were there to watch. They knew where he prayed. They made it to be his business to be there to witness his prayer time. It was a deliberate tactic to ensnare a man of God. I wonder how many more deliberate tactics have been used like that. I think of recent occasions in Northern Ireland. Think of the Asher's wedding cake entrapment, where a gay rights activist deliberately chose a Christian bakery and targeted those bakers knowing well they would have serious objections so that vexatious litigation could be started. Daniel is dragged before the authorities and yet he's without sin. Does not remind you of someone else. Remember the basic principle that everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Wasn't our Saviour praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and a man who pretended to be a friend, a traitor, came and pointed to where he was, knowing when he would be there? Wasn't he innocent of crime? Wasn't he dragged before the authorities? Wasn't he condemned wrongly by the authorities? And look back at Daniel for a moment. Because they brought Daniel and they cast him into the den of lions. And notice that that's got some interesting details there as well. Look at verse 17 for example. Because it tells us here that a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring. And didn't that happen to Christ? Don't you remember how the tomb was blocked 
with a stone. If we turn to Matthew's Gospel in 27 and verse 59 down to verse 60, we see that when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulchre. And it was sealed, for the king sealed it with his own signet right here in Daniel. And in Matthew 27, again we read, Command, therefore, that the sepulchre be made sure, said the Jews. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone, setting a watch. His arrest and trial pointed to Christ. His entombment and deliverance. Because I call it entombment because to all intents and purposes, Daniel was to die in that lion's den. And his victory over death. Turn the page and look to verse 21. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. Verse 27. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me. God rescued Daniel. He could have rescued him by some miraculous intervention, couldn't he? He could have sent 10,000 angels to destroy the Persian court and bring Daniel to safety. He could have struck down his accusers as they worked their way through their plot, but he didn't. He demonstrated his power and greatness by shutting the mouths of the lions. Of course he can do that. He created them. One day in the future, the lamb and the lamb will lie down together in his new earth. But he delivered Daniel up to die and then brought him out of his grave. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Daniel was victorious over death, and Jesus was victorious over death, and Daniel was vindicated over all his foes. In verse 21, the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. When Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, he defeated his foes, he led captivity captive, says Paul in Ephesians. We see Daniel's exaltation, verse 28. His exaltation in the kingdom. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel was given more opportunity for service. He was given a high position, just as our Lord Jesus is exalted on high. And as we learned a few months back from Lord's Day 19 in the Catechism, when we asked the question, how does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? 
We're taught first by his Holy Spirit. He pours out heavenly gifts upon us. And by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. Do you see the parallels in Daniel's arrest and trial? In his entombment and his deliverance from the grave? In his victory over death? In his vindication over all his foes, in his exaltation in the kingdom, Daniel here is to a limited extent pointing us to Christ. It's not a perfect type of Christ. No Old Testament type is perfect. Daniel didn't die in the lion's den when he was entombed with the lions. Jesus died on the cross. He died for sinners. But Daniel was an Old Testament shadow of one who would come. One who also would be delivered up to death by wicked men. One who was the anointed of God, the Messiah. One who was the only one who was sinless. The only one who fulfilled the law of God. The one who was betrayed by Judas and condemned to death and whose tomb was sealed so that his death could not be disputed. Who was delivered from the tomb by the God whose mighty power created this world. Who raised him from the dead and has exalted him to his right hand. You see, the well-known and well-loved story of Daniel teaches us about God's ability to deliver. It teaches us about the true faithfulness of the Christian who walks close to the Lord. It teaches us about the power of prayer. But most importantly, it points us to the Saviour. So let us, like Darius the king, let us learn that we too are complicit in Christ's death. For it was our sins, just as it was Darius's sin that condemned Daniel to the den of lions. It was our sins that put Christ upon the cross. He died there for us, in our room and place. Let us learn that we are sinners. And let us sorrow and grieve over our sin. And in humble repentance, let us seek the Lord, who never turns away those who come to him. In humble repentance. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.